Welcome to 900 Ackland Avenue. This is the podcast for the Ackland Avenue Church of Christ. What follows is the service from March 13th, 2022. Thank you. God bless. Genesis 15, uh, 1 through 18, which is almost the whole chapter. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate? is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no and Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. He then said to him, So shall be your offspring. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. And he also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land and take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. 
As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and will be buried in a good old, at, a good, at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and the darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Canaanites, the, uh, well, that's verse 19. I'm supposed to stop at 18, I can, and I can see why. <laughs> uh, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you that, like uh, Abraham, you are faithful to us, and we are grateful. Father, we are grateful most of all for this church and for this morning that we can come together and worship you. Father, we ask you to be with us. Help us to find uh, opportunities to serve and to love you. Father, we thank you most of all for Jesus and we pray in his name. Amen. <clears throat> Our first song will be 336.
Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. Then my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes. For false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and take heart, and wait for the Lord. We pray with me. <clears throat> Lord, I confess that I felt uncomfortable and unworthy reading this psalm this morning. And that is because I have lived a life of privilege and safety. And it's hard to read this psalm right now and not think of our Ukrainian brothers and sisters. I wonder just how many times they have prayed this psalm to you in the past weeks. We pray that you will bring an end to the senseless violence that continues to rage against the innocent in Ukraine, but also in many other places in the world that are just not making the headlines right now. <clears throat> we praise you for bringing Lena's mom back to the U.S., we're so thankful she is now safe with her family here in Tennessee. We pray that you be with Jenya. We pray that you will reconnect her with her family in Russia and give her peace of mind. We pray that Beth can be a support to her in the coming months. Please continue to be with Marianne and Val in their recoveries, as well as Christy, Chuck, and Shelly. Please continue to be with our friends in cancer treatment and restore them to their full health. As always, give strength and endurance to our missionary friends abroad. We pray for travel mercies on our number who are away from us. So many people traveling this week and others that will travel later in the week. Um, but just pray that you bring everyone home safely to us. Thank you for the gift of your son and the reason why we gather today. And in his name we pray. Amen. <coughs> Four hundred thirty-eight. Four thirty-eight. <coughs> My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but holy lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. When darkness fails his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. When all around my soul 
what the scripture makes me think about. Um, what ideas does it conjure in my mind and in your mind as we read it this morning? I think it's easy to dismiss this approach as a subjective interpretation, um, but I think that misses the point. Um, I want to uh, approach the scripture today asking what it makes me think of, what it makes me a reader of the Bible since before I could read, a person steeped in this very strange faith, born out of this very strange time in the 20th and 21st century, in this very strange place of Churches of Christ in the American South. I'm not asking what do I want this scripture to say, but I'm asking after all my experiences in reading the Bible and living faith, what does Luke 13 make me think of today? Um, it is not the correct interpretation. But it is a way of seeing scripture fresh and exercising our ability to see it as relevant to us now. Um, I also think that it's a way of reading scripture that is at least relatively consistent with how Jesus reads and talks about the prophets. Um, he does not ask what the original author intended or how the original culture or audience would have heard the text. But he reads it for and with his disciples and the people uh, he is together with. So let's stand together and read um, Luke 13 in, from, from the book. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. He replied, Go tell that fox I will be keeping on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, at, look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The word of the Lord. I like civic spaces um, a lot. Robbie and Elsie make fun of me all the time because of how much joy I get in experiencing civic spaces. I took Elsie to the airport yesterday, and she made fun of me the whole time. Um, <laughs> She said, don't you just love this, Dad? Is this a civic space? Um, and it was. Like, and I, I loved it. I loved going through the security. I loved all of it. Um, I like going to get a license plate or a new driver's license, and I'm warned that those are being taken away from us by online registrations. Um, I have lots of theological questions about whether we should be voting, but I love to vote. I love to go and stand in line with other people and fill out a few forms and look at the candidates and vote. I find it all very, very encouraging. And that is not to say that I like other people, um, because generally I don't. And I brought some, um, I brought some, I brought some visual aids today to help with this. Uh, so this is a T-shirt I've had for a while that I really feel sums up the mood um, that I often have. And if you can't read it in the back, um, it says, I like coffee and maybe three people. Um, 
And if I'm honest, they are not always the same three people. So sometimes you're in and sometimes you're not. Um, but I, I, I often get exhausted um, with, with people. Um, they, I find them um, both generally and specifically exhausting. But when we are gathering together, I love civic spaces. And, and I wanna explain why. Civic spaces to me are what we have created to do, to be and to do things together. They're the places um, that are only necessary because we are a community that has agreed to do certain things together. We use, gather, and work in these spaces, not because we need them individually, um, but because we need them together. And while they may inconvenience us individually, they make things infinitely more uh, convenient for us as a community. I individually do not need a driver's license to be able to drive a car. But we, as a community, need to know that there is some base level of training uh, that we require before we put somebody on the interstate at 70 miles an hour. Um, and the places that we have built to make sure that happens make me endlessly happy. Um, I love the DMV, um, and, and I understand that, that that may be strange. So let me give another example. Um, I also really like the Red Cross. This is my Red Cross shirt. Um, and yes, I will put these shirts on without ironing them. Um, so I thought I'd bring them today with you out without ironing. But the Red Cross, it's another civic space, um, sometimes a bus, built to do things that benefit us together uh, while inconveniencing and even inflicting pain on us individually. Um, so even as they snip, stick the needle in my arm, looking around at the other people, really gaining nothing from their discomfort makes me happy. Um, being in these spaces that are meant to make the community uh, and not the individual better fill me with, with great joy. And I give another example. Um, I also love the why. Um, I really, really love the why. And specifically at the why, I love the sauna. Uh, so this, is, this is my sauna shirt. Um, and um, I love sitting in a place whose goal is to be a welcoming space for people to live healthier lives. I love being around people who are working and sweating so that they can be healthier. And I sit in that sauna with folks whose paths I would not normally cross. And we talk about things I generally do not want to talk about. But we are in there together trying to be healthier and trying to make it just a little bit longer under the unrelenting heat of, of the sauna. Um, so, and I know I lost a lot of you talking about civic spaces. So I thought I'd try to explain what I'm, I'm getting at using something that I know Ashlyn will understand. Um, sports. Um, <laughs> specifically basketball. Um, so this is, in case you don't know, the jersey for your um, 2020 um, Church League basketball champions. Um, we won't talk about this year. Um, but when I think about spaces that we create to succeed together in ways that in, uh, inconvenience the individual, I think about basketball. Um, I, I love basketball. I think it's a beautiful sport of constant motion and change that often showcases indiv individual brilliance, uh, but is ultimately best played as a team in community. 
A few years ago, I was about to play a game, uh, and as everyone was warming up, I saw this, this one guy, and I, I was really excited to have him on my team. He could really handle the ball. Um, for those who don't know, that means dribbling and moving around with the ball in, in specific ways. Uh, he could really handle the ball. He seemed like he was in really good shape. He was younger than me, which is definitely a plus these days. Um, and he was making all of his shots in warm-up, and I thought, this guy's good. Um, this is gonna be really good. Um, and then we started playing, and it was a disaster. Um, he was still very individually skilled, uh, but what was clear is that he didn't understand how to play with four other teammates. It's not that he was a selfish player, because he wasn't. But when he got the ball, he only knew how to dribble to get his shot. He couldn't anticipate the movement of his teammates around him. He couldn't anticipate the movement of the defense to him that freed up his teammates for easier shots. Um, he didn't know how to help or receive help from his teammates. My guess is that he had spent a lot of time practicing alone in the gym, but very little time playing with teammates. Um, and thinking about that guy, even now, makes me sad. Um, I think it's the sadness uh, of something that has the potential to be beautiful, but isn't. Um, I think about that guy when I read this passage today, when Jesus begins to mourn for Jerusalem. Because it seems to me that at the heart of this passage is Jesus mourning a civic space, um, a community potential that, that is not what it should be. Jerusalem, the city of God, a city that he longs to be more than it is. Jesus can see how beautiful a community living into the will of God uh, would be, and he knows that Jerusalem is not that, and it saddens him. It's a community that is not doing its best together. The Pharisees warn Jesus about Herod, but Jesus is unconcerned. Uh, he is about finishing his work. And it isn't just, and it, isn't it just like Jerusalem um, uh, that, that Jesus is mourning here for the Pharisees while watching these healings, while watching these casting out of demons, uh, for the Pharisees to be so concerned with what Herod could do to a body. And Jesus rebukes Herod. Uh, he rebukes the power that is controlling the lies and the fear of the Pharisees. He rebukes Herod as if he is nothing. He's an animal. He's a fox. Herod is inconsequential, but he mourns Jerusalem. He mourns the place that was set aside to be more than it is. Several scholars link Jesus' reference to the prophets in this passage, specifically to, to Micah and Jeremiah. He is making a, a very specific connection to what those prophets said were the failings of Israel and Jerusalem in the past. And he is saying, your problem remains the same now. Um, Jer Jeremiah 22 reads, Woe to him who builds his palace by unrighteousness, his upper rooms by injustice, making his own people work for nothing, not paying them for their labor. He says, I will build myself a great palace with spacious upper rooms. So he makes large windows in it, panels it with cedar, and decorates it in red. Does it make you a king to have more and more cedar? Did not your father have food and drink? He did what was right and just, so all went well with him. He defended the cause of the poor and the needy, and so all went well. Is that not what it means to know me, declares the Lord? But your eyes and your heart are set only on dishonest gain. 
on shedding innocent blood, and on oppression and extortion. Similarly, Micah 3 reads, Hear this, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, who despise justice and distort all that is right, who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with wickedness. Her leaders judge for a bribe, her priests teach for a price, and her prophets tell fortunes for money. Yet they look to the Lord's support and say, Is not the Lord among us? No disaster will come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion will be plowed like a field, Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble, and the temple hill a mound overgrown with thickets. These are just two examples. There are hundreds of more of prophets like, Jeruz like, like Jesus mourning that Israel and Judah and Jerusalem isn't what it was meant to be. That it has trusted Assyria and Babylon and Rome, whatever, that it has trusted um, or at least feared um, those places so much that it isn't the space that God blessed it to be. And judgment comes, and it comes because the poor have been neglected, injustice, greed, and oppression have thrived. And all that is true. What interests me about this passage today is that Jesus isn't talking about individual sins. He's talking about community sins and cultural sins. He is mourning Jerusalem because it is not the community it was meant to be. Jesus spends a lot less time talking about personal sin and piety than we do. And he, talk, and he spends a lot more time talking about community sin and cultural sin and societal sin than we do. At least the community and cultural sins that we are often complicit in. I know that in this country, our civic spaces are broken. They reek with division and anger and institutional racism and deeply sinful greed. Um, they seem to be more and more designed to exclude rather than include, and I mourn for those spaces. But our churches are broken too. I told you that I like civic spaces because they are community gathering its resources to do the best that it, that it can. And it has not often been the, the case that I've walked into a church and felt that same kind of excitement where you can feel that this is a place where people are doing the best they can to be who they are designed to be. Like Jesus mourns for Jerusalem, I mourn for our churches. I mourn that I hear so many things in our church spaces before I even hear the faintest whisper of Jeremiah or Micah or even Jesus' declaration in Luke 4 that we read a few weeks ago. The good news has come to the poor, the prisoner, and the grieved. I heard a Christian leader speaking the other day about religious freedom, and he focused on things like uh, the rights of Christians to be free from mask ma mandates. Um, and I couldn't help but think how confusing um, the American Christians' worry about religious freedom must be to Jesus. Jesus, who came and lived, knowing he would be persecuted and killed. And that was not just the result of his faith, but a condition under which he lived his life. Um, and this man was complaining because Herod had not made living his faith easy enough. Um, I find that very confusing. My days are, are spent often pursuing the protection of the rights of others, but I confess that I'm confused with Christians' talk about their own rights, their rights to freedom, their rights to power, their rights to a life that is different than the path of the cross. 
I long to enter our church spaces and not feel the hand-wringing regret of the privilege. Rather, I want to feel, and not just hear, but feel that the poor are blessed, the prisoner is freed, the blind are given sight, and the oppressed know freedom. I want to feel that this can be a space where what we are doing, what, that we are doing our best together to be what God wants us to be together. And that we understand that the salvation I see is bound up in the salvation of the folks in this room, the folks sitting in prison cells out on County, County Hospital Road, and the folks down under the Shelby Street Bridge. So Lent is a time of repentance and reflection. Um, I pray that we may use this time to remember that we are in this together, that we may use this time to remember that we are not promised freedom, we are, pro we are not promised an easy path, but we are promised that we will be saved from the pain and the sin of this world and the kingdom of God that has come and is coming. And I pray that we will think about that as we head towards the table together this morning. 454. 454. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Falling on my ear, the sun. 
So Mary Magdalene gets up on a Sunday morning before the sun comes up and she makes her way to the tomb. Austin is observing this. And she sees that that big stone that the high priest had placed there to make sure that no one would make up a story that uh, by taking his body and prove, see, he did raise from the dead. Because the high priest certainly didn't want any false truths going around. Um, so they had put that big stone to cover his tomb and it was removed. Mary Magdalene looked inside and notices that Jesus's body is gone. And she immediately runs and tells Peter and John. And so their response is to go to the tomb and John starts to run kind of like a Ford Shelby. And Peter begins to run more like a Chrysler Cordoba. If you don't know what a Cordoba is, you have my permission, get your phones out and look it up so you can be with me in, in picturing these two middle-aged men running from their homes to the tomb. John gets there first and he sees that the stone is removed. Peter eventually gets there and goes in, sees there's no body. They see linens laying on the ground and um, Jesus's head wrapping that had wrapped around his head had been taken off and folded and set aside. They look, there's no body. So in their minds, there's nothing else here to see and they go home. I think that's a guy thing. Mary Magdalene's response was different. She burst with emotion and she began to cry, but not just tears of sorrow. There, were, there was anger and frustration. Someone had taken the body of Jesus and she goes into the tomb again and sees two angels. Now, I don't know if angels have genders or not, but their response seems like a guy thing because here is Mary Magdalene full of emotion. She asks them, where is the body? And, they, and their response is, woman, why are you crying? I think that's a guy thing. But Mary wants to know where the body is. And then she notices that there's a man behind her. And she turns around and it is Jesus, but initially she doesn't recognize him. She recognized that those two other individuals were angels. It said they were angels, they were covered in white. She knew they were angels. For whatever reason, she didn't recognize initially that it was Jesus. And as she's talking to him, she thinks, well, maybe he's the gardener. And she's kind of got a control of her emotions. She said, 
just tell me where he's at so I can go get his body. That's what Mary Magdalene wanted to do. Again, Austin Miles is observing all of this. Verse 16 is what inspired Austin to write this song in the garden. Because Jesus says, Mary, and immediately Mary sees that it's Jesus. And again, has this explosion of emotion. And what Austin observes, it's about the relationship between Jesus and Mary. And so Austin starts to write the song in the garden and finishes the words in about 15 minutes. He takes a little break and then later that evening writes the music. And in 1912, what he wrote, both the words and the music, is exactly what we just sang. He composed all of that in that afternoon based on that experience of reading John 20 and recognizing it's about the relationship between us and Jesus. So as we take the bread, we drink the wine, think about Jesus calling your name. And it's about that relationship. Shall we pray? Father in heaven, bless this bread that represents Jesus's body that he sacrificed so that we can live with you for eternity. It's in his name we pray. Amen.
Shall we pray? Father in heaven, bless this cup and be with our hearts, our minds, and our spirits as we focus on the blood that Jesus poured out to cover all of our sins all of the time. It's in Jesus we pray. Amen.
closing reading is from Philippians chapter 3, verse 17 through 4, verse 1. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For, as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Let's pray. Almighty God, we hope in you, our Creator and our Savior. You've made promises to your people, and you've kept them. You've also promised us that if we look for you, that we will find you. As we go out this week, help us to see you, and help us to see what you are doing. Help us to be agents of hope and bringers of good news to those around us. Thank you for the ways that you have helped those who we love those who are refugees, and continue to help those who are looking for you. Please bless the travel of those of our friends who are out and bring them home. In Jesus' name, amen. announcements before we're done this morning. Um, so first off, congratulations to Abigail and Fiona for both having birthdays on the 15th. Birthday twinsies, all right. Abigail, gonna be four, that's awesome. Yay! Um, also, happy birthday to Ashley Hoskins. Um, I think she's at um, Disney this week, so hopefully she has a, 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 a sort of a magical uh, birthday. Um, uh, hopefully, yeah, the weather will be nice. Yeah. I think in Orlando, very hot, not so great, but yeah, I don't know, it'll be all right. I don't know this is early enough in the year. Um, so again, thanks to Randy for bringing both the sermon and the donuts today. Um, and uh, so excite, excitement, lots of good news. Right, right. Um, uh, so uh, be uh, mindful of, in your bulletins, there's discussion of the spring retreat, um, and I won't sort of go through it all, but there will be a Quidditch tournament so those of you who know, like start uni shake now, because <laughs> it's not killing me. <laughs> um, yeah, practice your Christian sportsman. I've got to work on that. That's I'm talking to myself. Like Matt, I, I, you know, like okay, let's be good. Let's practice our Christian sportsman latest. Um, uh, between now and then, uh, yeah, hope overflowing will be the theme. So that should be great. Um, if you're looking for ways to kind of plug in, do some service. Um, there is the Fall Hamilton parking lot fundraiser, as well as the little pantry that you can kind of quickly plug into. Um, both of those are great things to help out with. Um, I love Fall Hamilton. I've kind of missed it over the pandemic, and I can't wait um, to get more involved with that um, as we go. Um, just be, be mindful of some of the events coming up. Um, March 23rd, there's an area-wide youth group gathering. I think that the, um, it's a Wednesday, so I think what's gonna happen is um, 
JP, and are you going to go? You're going to basically drive the kids over there to Riverwood, I think, right? I, I think it's at uh, Robin Rainey's that night, so we'll kind yes. of be there at the hub and we'll go. Okay, great. Thanks for that clarification. So, yeah. Meet at, meet at Brandy Robbie's, but then they'll take her out from there and go over to Riverwood. Um, the Dollywood trip's coming up. Um, there's an egg hunt on April 10th. Um, so Abigail, again, double down on the birthday um, <laughs> birthday stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, just kind of, I don't know, man, have a great week. And there's coffee and donuts. And is there anything else? All right, awesome. You've been listening to 900 Ackland Avenue, the podcast for the Ackland Avenue Church of Christ. If you'd like more information about our community, our church website is http colon slash slash Thanks again for joining us. God bless.